1: Remember what you said, you return that I might live in my Father's house.
2: With all the iniquity abounding everywhere, why first afflict the people of God? That's the question. Well, simply because God knows his people, the church, is the first line of defense against evil. And that's why we exist, to be an influence for righteousness. As the Bible uh, describes us, we are the salt of the earth. We are a candle. We are a light that is set upon a hill.
0: You don't have to be an expert in the strategies of war to know that taking out the leaders of an army can deal a very effective blow, even when no one else is harmed. As we fight through the spiritual battle that wages around us, we see the same thing happening on that level. As Pastor Mike will warn in today's message, when you boldly follow Christ and He works in you to accomplish great things in this world, it's only a matter of time before the enemy takes notice and aims his arrows at you. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, as he begins his message, Suffering for God's Glory.
2: We're back in our Living Hope series, studies in the book of 1 Peter. So we'll just pick up where we left off last time. We're in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 through 19, suffering for God's glory. So let's go ahead and read that text of scripture, then we'll open up in our word of prayer. So 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Father, we pray now that you'd open up this text of scripture to us, God, that you give us understanding, Lord, that it would serve to just Uh, better understand your work and your plan uh, in our lives. Lord, uh, just bless now. God has always would ask that my words would be your words, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, this evening's message, the title is Suffering for God's Glory. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. Peter here in this uh, section of his epistle has been dealing with the subject of uh, suffering. And over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about and tried to answer those questions for you. Why does God allow suffering in the lives of his uh, people? And how, as God's people, are we to uh, view that suffering that he's allowed to come into our lives? How are we to respond to it? And is there any fruit that comes out of that experience uh, in our uh, lives, suffering in the life of a believer? So it's a pretty comprehensive a subject that we've been talking about over the last couple of uh, times together. So if you will, it, this is Peter's treatise on the subject of suffering. Now, let's go to our text. Here, Peter, notice, refers to suffering as judgment. And he tells us where it should begin. Notice in verse 17, it t- we are told, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Now, upon hearing this, you might think it odd. I mean, wouldn't it be more reasonable for God to inflict and chastise the unrighteous, the profane, and the immoral? Good questions. I mean, surely they deserve the rod of discipline. It would seem more logical, but isn't it interesting? You know, as we uh, read the scriptures, uh, particularly in the uh, Old Testament, as we go throughout the scriptures, we frequently discover God judging his own people while little seems to be done about uh, the heathen heathen and their sins. Let me give you an example of this. In the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 8, God gives the prophet a vision of the extreme wickedness of his uh, people, of the nation of Israel. He actually allows Ezekiel to see what was going on in the hearts and the minds of his people. He was to warn and judge Israel. And where was Ezekiel to begin? Well, Ezekiel chapter 9 and verse 6. We are told that he was to begin at my sanctuary. Now, why is that? Why why does God prefer... Uh, to judge his own uh, people before the heathen. the heathen. Well, with all the iniquity abounding everywhere, why first afflict the people of God? That's the question. Well, simply because God knows his people, the church, is the first line of defense against evil. And that's why we exist, to be an influence for righteousness. As the Bible uh, describes us, We are the salt of the earth. We are a candle. We are a light that is set upon a hill. Listen, you get a host of people who are totally sold out for God, forsaking evil. They can be a tremendous influence on their society. And so God focuses first on his people to keep revival burning in their hearts. That is, that spiritual awakening versus evangelism. They're two different things. Evangelism is the proclamation of the gospel to reach the lost. So God uh, works in the hearts and lives of his people to keep that fire uh, burning, revival, a spiritual awakening. Now, there is a close, no doubt, connection between uh, the two that spiritual awakening and evangelism. You see, until the people of God are awakened to their own hearts, their need of complete yieldedness to Christ, little will be accomplished in attracting the lost to the Savior. That is in the uh, proclamation of the gospel or evangelism. You see, our relationship has to be real. And until Jesus is master of our lives, will know little of the Holy Spirit's power, and our efforts to reach the lost will be weak and uh, feeble. So listen, attractive buildings, beautiful music, eloquent sermons, interesting programs are not enough. What does the Bible tell us in the book of Zechariah, in chapter 4 and verse 6? It's not by power nor by might, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord. You know, I recall a, a great illustration of this, I recall the occasion, it's recorded for us in the book of Acts in chapter 19, when Paul met with the Ephesian uh, congregation and he asked the elders to share the report of their progression in that city, the things that were going on. Uh, making, did they make any advances in, in furthering uh, the work and the, uh, the proclamation of the gospel? Well, in response, they brag about their pastor whose name was Apollos, and he was a very uh, good speaker. Uh, They bragged about the outstanding members of their congregation, for example, Aquila and uh, Priscilla. Uh, They talked about the potential of their location, which was Ephesus, was one of the greatest metropolitan uh, cities there in Asia. Well, after they finished their report, Paul ignored their boasting and asked this question, Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? You see, Paul acknowledged and recognized that there was something missing of extreme importance. And what was that? Well, it was the work, the ministry, and the operation of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the people there in the church in the city of Ephesus. Well, when they got things turned around and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they immediately changed their course and direction. You see, after the Spirit came upon them, they rocked the entire population. Books of magic, we are told, uh, were burned in the city streets. They turned from idolatry. Uh, the major industry of that city was threatened. Uh, remember, that was the uh, city of where they had erected the temple that was dedicated to Diana. And remember the silversmiths uh, made their uh, all of their money by making these silver statues of, of Diana. It was one of the uh, main uh, occupations of that uh, city. It was a way that they made uh, their money. But now uh, people were coming to Christ and they were no longer buying uh, those uh, statues. They refused to buy replicas of Diana. So they rocked the city. It was all about the ministry and the operation of the Holy Spirit. So the question, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Is our life a demonstration of what God's Spirit uh, can do through someone who is fully committed to the will of Jesus Christ? Hey, listen, don't miss out on this because this is very important. We need to go all the way. Even as Paul encourages us in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5 and verse 18, he says, Be ye filled with the Spirit of God. And listen, I am absolutely convinced that if Christians all over the world were to get on their knees without sham or sanctimony, and were to yield completely to the fullness of the Spirit, fervently claiming the promises of God's word, the entire condition of our civilization. Could be changed in a period of 24 hours. But before this can become a reality, there must be a judgment. There must be a purging, and it must begin, notice as Peter tells us here in our text, in the house of God. Okay, so therefore, with that understanding, how are we to respond to judgment? Well, simply, personal sin must be realized and acknowledged to God and followed by sincere repentance. Let me give you a cross reference, a very familiar cross-reference, I'm sure, to many of you, in Second Chronicles in chapter seven, and verse fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin and heal their land. But it is at this point where some Christians fail. They continue to live in defeat as they coddle and pamper their pet sins. Do you have any pet sins? Well, it's time to just turn those things over to God, to confess uh, our sins, to get rid of our sins. Listen, gang, get the victory. Judge yourself lest you be judged by God. You know, no wonder so many Christians exert no a concerted effort to win the loss to Christ. Why is that? Because they are cold and indifferent to the claims of God in their own hearts, in their own lives. How can they hope to be burdened for other people? Here's the problem. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 2, in verse 4, when Jesus is writing to the church at Ephesus, he says, "You." this was the indictment that he brought against him. You have left your first love. Revelation chapter 2, in verse 4. In other words, you've grown cold to the things that once thrilled you. You've drifted away from the faithful study of God's Word and from fellowship with God in prayer. Neglecting these spiritual exercises has made you pray for sin. Perhaps you've fallen into some sin which is robbing you of the peace and joy you once knew in Jesus Christ. Listen, gang, remember, God sees all things. He can look into your hearts, even as he looked into the hearts through Ezekiel, uh, his people Israel. Can you bear that kind of scrutiny? What does God see? Oh, let him give you the victory. Make things right. Simply confess to the Lord and judge yourselves. Remember, according to our text, verse 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. So Peter knew something about eldership, uh, that specific calling that uh, God had uh, given him. So he's passing on uh, some of what he's experienced for himself. Shepherd the flock of God, verse 2, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, who is Jesus, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Don't you think that it is pretty interesting that at this point in Peter's epistle, he makes the transition from the subject of fiery trials and suffering, and that's what we've been talking about now over the last couple of weeks, to transitioning now, and addresses the subject of the ministry of elders. Now, why do you think that he has chosen to do that? Well, I think it's because he knew leaders in the church can be a strong comforting factor and stabilizing force in keeping believers steadfast during those trying periods of time. For example, God uses our lips to encourage them through the study of the Word, through the proclamation of the Word, through our counsel. God uses our hands to help individuals. God uses our hearts to love individuals. And so, here, He calls upon the leadership community within the local church, to rally to this needed ministry. And listen, there are always needs amongst the people who make up our congregations. There are always issues, there are always struggles, there are always problems that need to be dealt with. Now, I want you to go back to our text. Notice there that Peter is addressing the elders. And we can use that word uh, elders interchangeably with other Uh, words that we're familiar with. For example, like overseers. In fact, uh, Peter uses that uh, same word uh, there in verse 2. Notice it says, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. Uh, So that word, elders, overseers, can be used interchangeably. Now, this will also include church officers, ministers, laymen who have been entrusted uh, with the oversight of a certain work within the, uh, the church, maybe someone who heads up the men's ministry, or a woman who heads up the women's ministry, or the prayer ministry, or the children's ministry, uh, whatever. But notice here, Peter uh, is addressing those individuals. Now, Peter uh, considers three aspects here in our text of their calling. What are those three aspects? Well, their relationship, their responsibility, and their reward. So let's go ahead and take them in that order. First of all, uh, the elder's or overseer's relationship. And what we're particularly talking about is the relationship with uh, God, which is so very, very important. That needs to be in place. That needs to be intact. It must be a thriving relationship. They need to make sure that there's nothing standing in the way or hindering their relationship with Jesus. Now, why is that? Well, because if we allow certain things to stand in the way, it'll shut down our effectiveness. So our yieldedness to the will of Jesus must be constant and unbroken. Jesus himself said, remember in John's Gospel in chapter 15, where he uses the analogy of, of the vine, he being the vine, and we, the branches. He goes on to declare in verse 5, without me, you can do nothing. Oh, as elders in the church, we need to acknowledge and recognize that fact. Without Jesus working through us, we can do nothing. We'll accomplish nothing. Everything that we do will just fall to the uh, ground. Really won't make a difference. So therefore, We need to be plugged into the vine who is Jesus Christ. Now, Peter further states, notice there in verse 1, let's go back to our text, that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, that word partaker, I want to focus in on that, suggests, notice, by experience. Be a partaker by experience. Not just to head knowledge, but by experience. So the glory of Christ should be evidenced in him or her in a life of complete separation and surrender. This is the person that is in passion to know Christ. That's the person, that's the elder, that's the person that God is going to work through. And that's the key to our success and effectiveness in the ministry. You know, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verses one and so, and this is everything to do with self-abandonment and complete surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So that self-abandonment and surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That was the key to Paul's effectiveness in the ministry. So it's someone who is dead to worldly passions and alive unto a God. That's the folks that God uses. Listen, it's not by intellectual power or human ingenuity that our world is going to be reached. If we are to capture God's power and ability, we have to reserve nothing for self and be absolutely filled with the Holy Spirit. And then, and only then, will we become life-giving streams of refreshment for weary souls. So, gang, it's not the importance of a man, or his abilities, or his position, and God will use those things, uh, but those really aren't the things that count, because it's all about God filling the man who is in a right relationship with him. And again, I want to stress that we need to make sure that we are in a right relationship with Jesus. So that's the man or woman that God uh, uses. Now, another aspect of the elders or overseers uh, calling is their responsibility. Go back to our text. Notice there in verse two, the, the first part of verse two, it says, "Shepherds, uh, shepherd the flock of God, which is among you. So, tend to the flock. That's the exhortation that Peter uh, gives the elders. The idea here, and this is involved in that whole process of tender, tending the flock, the idea here is to encourage them, to protect them, to guide them, to lead them, to build them up. And listen, this is, this is pretty uh, weighty stuff. It's heavy uh, stuff. It's a tremendous responsibility. So, God uh, help us, and that's the reason why often I ask you to pray for me. Pray for our our eldership, uh, that we might take on this responsibility, that we might be uh, effective, and and ble- being a blessing to the men and women that God has entrusted to us in their care.
1: In my father's house, there's a place for me. Father's
0: House Where I love oh, We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 Peter. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can also listen online by going to the Resources tab. Otherwise, you can find them on one place and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. You can also watch our fully recorded services on Vimeo. Just follow the link at our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're ever in or near the Midtown Manhattan area, and are looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here, and you can reserve your seat at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. You are welcome to join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, please don't hesitate to give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. Or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram by following the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House.
1: Oh